All right. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Had a uh, milestone moment in my life a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was a milestone, but it was actually just a birthday. I had a birthday, but it was a milestone birthday. I actually turned, uh, drum roll, please. I turned 50, 50 years old. That's really old. And some of the people in here are going, man, you could be my dad. That's what's so scary, you know what I mean? I know we've got some young people in here, so... Uh, Although I'm thankful for that God's given me 50 years, at the same time, I remember when I was a young person thinking that, man, if you were 50, it's like you already had one foot in the grave. That's really old. And so, uh, I, I, you know, wasn't digging it. So I, midlife crisis or whatever you want to call it, I go, I got to go do something fun. And so I decided to go and do this. We got a slide of it up here. Decided to go, uh, that's me there on the left and my pilot, a man named Ted. This is in a, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. This was about a month ago. And uh, we went up to almost 1,900 feet in a hang glider. And it was one of the biggest rushes I've ever had in my life. But when I got there to the check-in at the hang gliding place, a place called Lookout Mountain Hang Glide, very original, um, I go to check-in and the lady says, okay, we need you to fill out some paperwork, some waivers as you might expect, and initial here, initial here, initial here, 10 different initials signed in the back. Where everything I read said, this is inherently dangerous sport, you need to listen to the instructor at all times. You can't freelance. You need to do exactly what he tells you to do. Sign here. And the next line would basically say the same thing, but in different wording. Sign it again. Sign it again. I signed it like 10 times and finally or initialed it and then finally signed the back. Okay, I get it. They want me to listen to the instructor and don't do my own thing. Don't go out on my own and veer off whatsoever from what they're telling me to do. So then she goes, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to have you go down to the airstrip. We're going to have this little rickety airplane. She didn't say rickety, but it was. Looked like it had a lawnmower engine on it, but uh, we're going to have this airplane tow you guys up to 1,500 feet, and then they'll, they'll break the cable, and you'll be gliding on your own. I go, okay. So I go down to the airstrip, and uh, lady at the airstrip, she says, hey, we got a safety video we need you to watch. I go, okay. So they sent me down this little gazebo area out in the middle of a field and put the video on, and just like the, the waiver, it says, hey, listen. You need to follow all the safety instructions. You need to do exactly what your instructor tells you to do. He's in charge. Don't freelance. Don't do your own thing. Listen to him at all times. It said this for 15 minutes over and over. I go, I get it. Do what the instructor tells me to do. I get it. So then finally, they strap me into the hang glider along, like I said, with my, my partner Ted there. Ted spends about 10 minutes telling me that I need to listen to his instructions. <laughs> and if I don't, it'll be at my own peril. Well, I thought, well, it'll be at your peril too because... We, <laughs> We're strapped together, but yeah, I, I get it. And so I go, here's someone with authority in a leadership and in an instructor position giving me instruction and say, if you don't do what I tell you to do, it's going to be at your own peril, much like our passage tonight. We have someone, we're going to read in our passage here in, in Luke chapter 19, someone with authority telling us exactly what we need to do. And if we don't, again, it'll put us in danger. And this is way more important than physical danger. This is eternal danger. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn there to Luke 19, we're going to read uh, beginning in verse 11, Luke 19, 11. Just by show of hands, how many people heard the message from Pastor Mike this Saturday or this Sunday? How many people were there? All right, cool. Almost, almost everyone. All right. Sounds good. Luke 19, beginning in verse 11. We'll read it together. <clears throat> Obviously, Jesus speaking, and, he's, and, and, and it says this. It says, as they heard these things, he, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, they thought he was going to establish his kingdom right then and there. We know that's not, not the case. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And Pastor Mike explained that really well. He's essentially a prince. He's going to receive 
the kingdom for himself and then return. He's actually going to be coronated as a king, going from prince to king. So he calls 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. That's approximately $10,000 each and said to them, engage in business until I come. That's for the servants. Then he shifts to his citizens. It says, but his citizens of his kingdom hated him and they sent a delegation after him apparently talking to whoever the coronator was, whoever's going to coronate this guy as king, saying, hey, listen, we don't want this man to reign over, him, reign over us. Don't make him the king. Must have fallen on deaf ears, though, because when he returned, he received the kingdom, and he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. I took your $10,000 investment, and I made $100,000 more. That's a 1,000% increase. That's pretty good. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you're to be over five cities. I took your 10,000, made 50,000 more. And then's where we shift gears here. It says, then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, here's your $10,000, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit you reap what you didn't sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, at least in your mind you thought I was, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? In other words, you think I'm this sketchy guy that's doing all this underhanded stuff like taking stuff that doesn't belong to me. You could have pleased me by making a return on my investment and kept your conscience clear by going and put money in the bank. There's nothing wrong with that. That's legal. Put money in the bank and make some interest. You didn't do any, any of it. I'll condemn you with your own words. In verse 24, he says to those who stood by him, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. And he says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he shifts back to the citizens and he says, but as for these enemies of mine, the citizens of this kingdom who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And I know we've already prayed, Pastor Ben prayed. I want to pray one more time. Let's pray together. Hey God, thank you so much for this uh, awesome passage, God. And uh, we are, you are so good to us to, to warn us when we need to be warned, to encourage us when we need to be encouraged. And we pray that we'll, wherever we find ourselves tonight, God, Whatever, whoever we identify with in this passage, God, we pray that you would take uh, action in our lives, God, to help us rectify what we need to rectify, God, and that we might live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Like I said, we got essentially four characters in the story. And because it's a parable, they all represent someone, right? Um, first character, the nobleman, soon to be the king. We obviously know that's Jesus. There's no doubt about that. And second, we got the two good servants of the king, the one who made the, the, the 10 minus, the one who made the five minus, two good servants. Then, the, then we have a so-called servant, verse 20 through 23. So just king describes him as a wicked servant. And then we have outright enemies of the king. So like I said, the nobleman, that's Jesus. He's gone away for a while, but he will one day soon return as the coronated king. And with that, we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're all saying that if we're believers here tonight. So we really want to focus in on the other characters in our story and see which character you and I identify with. So first, let's look at the two good servants of the king. Two good servants. The king himself not only described them as good, but also as faithful. And it probably would have been a lot easier on these guys if they were serving a king that everyone liked. 
But what's really impressive, these guys served well, remained faithful to a king that the citizenry of the kingdom despised, and yet they remained loyal subjects to their king. If you're a born-again believer here tonight, these servants in the parable, they represent you, they represent me. As we wait for the return of our king, of Jesus, we're called to faithfully serve him in the midst of a world and in the midst of a world system that hates him. Jesus put it this way. I just put it up here on the screen for you. You don't have to turn there. Luke 10, 3. Jesus talking to his disciples, in essence, talking to you and I, saying this. He says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And I've watched enough Discovery Channel, I've watched enough Animal Planet to know that the lambs could never overpower the wolves. That's the bad news. The good news, I also know that wherever their lambs are, there's always a shepherd nearby. And that's the good news. We're not alone in this. We have a shepherd and a good shepherd. But that being said, Jesus said of his followers, John 15, 19, I'll just read it to you, you don't have to turn there. He says this, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. Strong strong words. Just like the wolves are never going to get along with the lambs, that's never going to happen. The world will never love Jesus, and it's never going to love the people that love Jesus. That's not going to happen this side of eternity. So stop. we need to stop looking for the approval and the applause of the world. Speaking of the approval and applause of the world, I, I read this week. This was super sad. Um... I read this week where a senior pastor of a church in New York with over 9,000 congregants, so one of the largest churches in America, he was being interviewed on uh, the show called The View. This was just a week ago. I don't watch The View primarily because I don't want to lose man points. I think it's a girl show. But anyway, I did pull up the snippet from the interview on YouTube when I heard about it. What happened, one of the hosts of the show asked him point blank, the senior pastor of one of the largest churches in America. She asked him point blank, hey, pastor, in your church, is abortion a sin? To which the pastor replied, oh, yeah, of course it's a sin because the Bible says it's a sin. Matter of fact, God goes on to say that, you know, of babies, that before he formed them in the womb, I knew you and all. Unfortunately, no, that's not at all what he said. (laughs) I'll, I'll quote what he said, and this is a quote. When asked if abortion was a sin, the pastor of one of the largest churches in America said, quote, you know, I don't know, people have to live to their own convictions. I mean, if it's good for you, I guess, and not for you. Kind of remind me what's said back in the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So if it's good for you, I guess it's okay. If it's not for you. Here's a golden opportunity to host asked what should have been a slam dunk question with a slam dunk answer, a chance for, for the pastor to explain sin and its consequences, a chance to talk about the justice of God, but also to talk about the mercy and the forgiveness of God for anyone in that audience who maybe have had an abortion or is caught up in any other type of sin, chance to balance that out between the justice of God, the mercy, the forgiveness of God, and the pastor of one of the largest churches in our nation caved. If we're going to be good and faithful servants of the king, we can't cave in to the pressure of a citizenry that hates him. Because you know what happened? As soon as he gave that answer, guess what the audience at The View did? Raucous applause. They went nuts, right? That's right, pastor. We need to live to our own convictions. Do what we feel is right. We got New Year's coming up in just a month and a half. I can't believe how fast this year's gone. And we're always making resolutions. A lot of us do make New Year's resolutions. And uh, come January 1, and that's... 
coming up real quick. But I said we need to resolve to be faithful ambassadors of our monarch, of our king. Let's do that right now. Let's make an early resolution to be faithful ambassadors of our king. Let's be loyal subjects. Pastor Mike talked this weekend about four ways we can be the kind of ambassadors, the kind of representatives that God wants us to be. And I'm going to touch on each one briefly. If you remember these, he gave us four different things. Number one, he said that we need to, we need to persistently pray, persistently pray for the lost. Hopefully you have a passion to see your friends, your family, and your coworkers saved, but the only way you're going to have passion is if you first have compassion. Jesus put it this way. I'll read it to you. Matthew 9, 36. He says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, you ever been to an angel game? You ever been to Disneyland there on Main Street where you're walking shoulder to shoulder or the Irvine Spectrum and you see the crowd? You ever looked at a crowd like that and you thought, wow, Jesus has compassion on these people. I need to have compassion on these people. But that's in the crowd. Let's make it even more personal. How about the gal or girl that works in the cubicle next to you at work? Or your next door neighbor? Or the gal in your mom's group? You ever looked at them and had compassion on them? Because Jesus does. So we need to, the thing that's going to drive our persistent prayer is when we have compassion on lost people. Persistently pray. That's the first thing we need to do. Second thing he shared with us that we need to do is we need to selectively engage the lost. He said, if you try sharing the gospel and the person you're sharing with stops, they say they don't want to hear it anymore, you don't shove it down their throat, you move on. I think about, can't help but think about that, but I think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, Acts 17, when he's talking to the men of Athens, and he shares the gospel with them, and it says some mocked. Some people in the crowd mocked him. Okay, we're moving on. That's okay. Whatever. And it says, but others said, you know what? You bring up some interesting points. I'm paraphrasing. You bring up some interesting points. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that later. Okay, we'll continue to engage with them. And it says, but others believed among them Dionysius and Damaris and others with them. You know what makes all the mocking worth it? Is the fact that when you share the gospel, some people are going to believe, even if it's the minority. But we have to be willing, like Paul, we have to be willing to engage. Don't be afraid, afraid to engage with lost people. And then thirdly, so we need to have some strategic discussion with the lost. Pastor Mike talked about using questions to start a dialogue. I think it's a great idea. We have another guy who does that, Ray Comfort. He's spoken at our church several times here. Um, He loves to use questions. A lot of times, one of the first ones he uses when he meets somebody out on the street or a friend or whatever, he'll say, do you think you're a good person? That's a great question because, one, people love to talk about themselves, right? And two, what do you think most people are going to say when they're asked if they're a good person? Yeah, of course I am. He also asked him, what do you think happens when you die? It's a great question. It's not offensive. It's, you know, it's not in your face. It's just a really legitimate question. People love to give their opinions. And uh, I love what a buddy of mine used to do. I used to work at the Olive Garden as a waiter years and years and years ago, back in the day. And a buddy of mine who was a believer there, and he was the sweetest, kindest, most gentle guy I've ever met, he would ask questions like this to our non-believing coworkers there. They would give their opinion, and he would just so kindly just nod his head. And they go, you know what? That's interesting, but, but the Bible says, and then he would tell them what God's Word said. And he would always say that. He said, you know, that's interesting. The Bible says, and he would correct them. What a great way to have strategic discussion. Think of other things you can do. I think about years ago when I was a, a rookie fireman or maybe just got done being a rookie. I'd been there maybe one year, and I was working for a captain who had been there like 25 years. So it's kind of hard to share with your boss, especially as a veteran guy. He's been there a long time, so I thought... I got to get strategic. So what I did, I took index cards, and each night um, 
I would write an index card. All I would do is put a Bible verse on it. I wouldn't write any commentary along with it or my opinion or anything. Just here's a Bible verse, and I'd put it on his pillow before he went to bed. He never said anything like stop doing that or anything like that. So every night for a couple, <laughs> I did, for a couple years, I left a, a Bible verse, a different verse each night on his pillow. Eventually led to being able to invite him to church. He came to church, still didn't get saved. And we got a call one night that he was on his deathbed with lung cancer. And Heather and I were able to go down and literally lead him to Christ on his deathbed. And uh, his wife called us after he died and said she was going through his, his, his belongings. And she found a shoebox with all those verses lined up in a row. Collecting them like you collect baseball cards, not to be irreverent. We have to just be strategic like that. I'm not trying to be the hero of my own story. It's just, uh, just one strategic thing. You think what you can do to be strategic. And then he talked about lastly, fourthly, teamwork. You say, Scott, I'm not like the Apostle Paul. I know he's engaging people there in Athens. He's talking to people in the marketplace. Man, I have a hard time even speaking, much less speaking on the subject of Christ and starting that conversation. I have a hard time with that. Not only that, we've got a policy at work that says you can't talk about religion and so can't really broach the subject. And, but you know what you can do? Like Pastor Mike said, you can invite them to church, right? You know, when people, if they agree to come to church, when people come to church, most people realize what they're getting into. They know that they're going to hear about God. They know they're going to hear from the Bible. They expect that. So invite them to church. Pastor Mike will speak to them. Pastor Ben will speak to them. Pastor PJ, Pastor Lucas, Pastor Pete. Invite them to church. Be strategic and use teamwork to bring people to Christ. So I put it this way. Number one on our outline, as Christ ambassadors, in the midst of a world that hates them, we need to boldly speak up on behalf of the king. Don't let this world silence you. Boldly speak up on behalf of the king. And like Peter reminds us, always when you do this, do it with gentleness and with respect, right? We're not out there to argue, to shove stuff down people's throat. Do it with gentleness and respect, but we don't shy away from, from preaching the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. We didn't implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. So there we go. The first characters we find in our parable, good and faithful servants of the king. Now we're going to shift to uh, the second character in our story. Let's turn back there. Luke 19. Look back at verse 20 again. <clears throat> Let's just read it again. It says, Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit. You reap what you didn't sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. We'll stop right there. So here's a guy presumably work, working side by side with the two good servants. And yet the master's critique couldn't have been more opposite. Instead of using words like good and faithful, he calls him wicked and says, I will condemn you. This guy's a servant in name only. He's a phony. He's a fraud. He's a fake. He may have fooled a lot of people along the way, but he wasn't fooling the king. King saw right through his charade. One way we know he's a fraud is by his warped view of God. Let me just remind you some of the stuff he said. First, he says, I was afraid of you. And you go, well, fear of God, that's a biblical thing, right? What well, is? We should have a fear of God, a reverence for God. Matter of fact, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But this guy's fear went beyond that. The word he uses when he states, I was afraid of you, is the Greek word phobio, where we get the, our word phobia. 
And in the context, it means to put to flight by terrifying. In other words, he's saying you're a terrifying God. You're a terrifying king. Then the wicked servant says, and you're a severe man. I also looked up the word severe. It means harsh, rough, and rigid. So this guy's view of God is that he's terrifying, he's harsh, he's rough, he's rigid. A warped view. Contrast that to what Jeremiah, who was a true servant of God, says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. I'll read it to you. There's countless passages that talk about this. I just picked one from Lamentations 3. It says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. People have written songs about that verse, have they not? You don't hear too many people writing songs about the terrifying, harsh, rough, and rigid God. Pretending to know God gives you a warped view of God. Pretending to know God gives you a warped view of God. And I can't help but think how many in a group this size might be playing church. Some of you may be even coming to church for years, but in reality, you're a Christian in name only. <clears throat> when I think about people playing church or phonies, I can't help but think of the biggest phony of them all. And of course, I'm talking about Judas. Here's a guy who was so good at what he was doing that when Jesus said to his disciples, tonight, one of you is going to betray me, none of them turned and looked at Judas. They all said, is it me? Am I the one? You would have thought in unison, the other 11 would have went, I know it's this guy over here. This guy's shady. They didn't do that. (laughs) He was so good at his charade. And he may have been fooling the people and made the other disciples, but he wasn't fooling God. He wasn't fooling Jesus. What about you? And you might be thinking, you know what? I'm not really a Christian, but I seem to be blending in pretty good. No one seems to notice. All right, seems to be working okay for me. Well, if that's you, I got a warning from you from Matthew 13. I do want us to turn to this passage. Matthew chapter 13, if you could turn there. We'll begin in verse 24, Matthew 13, 24. Anybody ever heard of the parable of the wheat and the tares? Matthew 13, 24 says this, Jesus again speaking, and it says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy's done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together into the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So in the parable, you have genuine wheat. It's the real deal. But right alongside the wheat, you have a weed growing that looks almost just like wheat. I did a little research to find out what this weed was, and it's a weed called the darnel. The formal name is the lolium timulentum. One website said this. Check this out. I quote, the similarity between these two plants, the wheat and the darnel, is so great that in some regions, darnel is referred to as false wheat. 
If I can be blunt with you tonight, are you false weak? Have you been playing church, maybe some of you, for years? Speaking of false wheat, let me tell you about some modern-day false wheat. This is sad. There's a so-called Christian band called As I Lay Dying. That's the name of the band. They recently admitted that they weren't Christian at all, that they had just been pretending so that they could sell records. Here's an excerpt from an interview with their lead singer, Tim Lambesis. Quote, I remember one Christian festival where an interviewer wanted one of the guys in the band to share his testimony, and he just froze up. We laughed about it afterward, but we were only laughing because it was so awkward. When kids would want to pray with us after shows, I'd be like, um, you go ahead and pray. I'd just let them pray, and I'd say amen, and if praying while I have my hand on their shoulder makes them feel better, I didn't want to take that away from them. And when they would specifically ask me to pray for something, I'd say, you know what, I don't really like to pray out loud, but I'll take that with me when I get on the bus. Unquote. When asked to share their testimony, they froze up because they didn't have a testimony. Pretenders, do you have a testimony? And by that, I mean, has there been a time in your life when you genuinely repented of your sins and placed your trust in Christ? I put it this way, number two on our outline, and I just stole this straight from the, the lips of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We'll talk about that in our small groups tonight, ways you can do that. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And if you're thinking, yeah, you know what? Uh, no one here knows, but that is me. I'm a phony. I'm a fraud. I'm a pretender. I know exactly what that's like. I was like that in high school. I, I was looking at my yearbook just recently, and there I was in the Bible club at high school. Wasn't a believer. It wasn't there because I was seeking Christ or anything like that. I was just a pretender, and I'm in Bible club. And then people were writing in my yearbook, hey, man, stay close to Jesus. I think, I don't even know Jesus. I mean, I know of him, but I don't know him. It's a phony. I want to close tonight by talking about the third character, or in our case, the third characters in our story. Of course, talking about the citizens of the kingdom. Talked about the servant, the servants, the fake servant, and now the citizens. If you don't have, have to turn there, I'll just remind you of what they said in regards to the king. First, it said that they hated the king, and then it said this. It says, we do not want this man to reign over us. Much like a Facebook post I was reading this week, a friend of mine who's not a believer, he just put a hypothetical question. If, if God were real, what question would you want to ask him? If you could ask him one question, what would it be? And there's a lot of mundane things like why did you make bugs and why did you make roaches and things like that people were asking. One guy obviously did not like him at all, and he said this. And I'm only saying this because it's what he quoted, and it was, shook me to the core. He said, God, why don't you go to hell? In other words, we don't want your rule. We don't want your reign. We want you incarcerated in a place that you'll just leave us alone. This guy obviously considers God his enemy. Which according to our story, according to the parable that Jesus told tonight, it's not a good thing when you consider the fate of the king's enemies. I'll remind you of what the king said in verse 27. He says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. 
And here's where you're probably throwing a flag on the play and you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. You just said God's not severe. He's not harsh. He's not rough and he's not rigid. Slaughtering people sounds pretty harsh to me. Well, you got to remember a few things. First, God's kingdom. He's the king. He makes the rules. And while it's true that those who persist in their rebellion will one day be banished from the king's presence and perish, hell's a real place. People really go there. While that's true, it's also true that according to 2 Peter 3.9, it says that God, the king, isn't willing that any should perish, that any should be slaughtered, but that all should come to repentance. My question for us tonight is, do we know anybody like this, an enemy of God who needs to come to repentance? Maybe it's a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member. Got Thanksgiving coming up next week. If you're like our family, you'll be sitting around a dinner table, and there's going to be some people there, chances are, family or extended family, that are hostile towards God. Can you have compassion on them, remembering that you were once in their shoes before you came to Christ? You think, well, I wasn't, I wasn't that bad. I wasn't really, I don't really see myself being in their shoes. I wasn't that bad. I, wasn't, I don't consider myself that I was an enemy of God. Well, you actually were. I put the verse up here on the screen. Colossians 1, 22, 21 through 22 says this, you who were once alienated from God, he's talking to believers, you who were once alienated from God and were enemies in your mind, because of your evil behavior, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. It says he has now reconciled. He's reconciled you, he's reconciled me, and according to 2 Corinthians 5, which we mentioned earlier, he's now given us the ministry of reconciliation. God wants to use you, and he wants to use me to reconcile people back to God. Who do you want to see reconciled this Thanksgiving or this Christmas or in 2018? I'm sure I'm guessing their, their, their name or face just popped up in your mind already. Put it this way, number three on our outline. We need to identify the person or persons in your life who need to be reconciled to God. Identify the person or persons in your life who need to be reconciled to God. There's a lot of things I love about the South. I, uh, I love sweet tea. I love it. I could drink it by the gallon. I do drink it by the gallon. Um, I love barbecue. It's Lucille's last night. It's not real Southern barbecue, but close enough. It's good. You know, take it. I love college football. It's a big thing in the South. But you know what I love in the South? I love that churches in the South, they have cemeteries, many of them out in front of the church. Reminds us that when we're leaving church, like Heather and I were just at a church in Knoxville just last month, and we're driving out, and there's the cemetery. And it reminds us that this life is temporary. We're, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And I think about, we think about the three characters of this story. We're driving out of that church, and you and I were buried in that cemetery. What would our headstones say? Would it say maybe like the first servant, hopefully? It says, he or she was a, a good servant, and they faithfully served the king right there on your headstone. All right. Or maybe like the second guy said, 
they were a pretender. They fooled a lot of people their whole life, but they didn't fool God. Or lastly, would your heads don't say, he was an enemy of God and is now banished from his presence. I hope tonight you identify with one of these people in the group. I hope it's the first, but if it's not, if you're a pretender, if you're an enemy of God, I pray that you'd be reconciled to him tonight. If you're still unclear of exactly how that works, please talk to me, Pastor Ben, your small group leader, anybody after the message tonight. We want to make sure that you get right with God. He loves you. And he wants to see you reconciled. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hey, God, we do pray just that. God, there's people in our life, we can see their faces even now, God, and we're getting ready to, to spend a lot of time with them in the holidays, God, Thanksgiving, and then at Christmas, New Year's, family, extended family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. God, you said you had compassion on lost people because they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. God, you're a good shepherd. I pray that you become their good shepherd. You said you're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God, I know men and women have free wills, God, but I pray that you would uh, help them see the truth of the gospel and their need for you. And they come to you, God, before it's too late. And they'd spend eternity with you in heaven instead of separated from you in hell, God. Help us to be reconcilers this holiday season, God, and help us to reconcile those that need a right relationship with you today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy your time in your small groups.